Mother's Day 2020. I bought my wife a digital picture frame because she is always taking pictures and videos of our boys. She just fill, she's filled her phone up two, three times now. A lot of pictures, a lot of videos. But she doesn't have any way to show them in the house, and I'm not printing all those out at Walmart. It'll cost a fortune. So she's always just like flipping through on her phone all the time. And so she made a comment. I wish I had some way to, to, to see all of these. And so we bought her a digital picture frame that like syncs with her phone, and so it just automatically goes, and she loves it. She just loves it. She stares at that thing and just watches pictures and videos of her boys go by on this carousel. We'll be watching TV and I'll look over at her. She's not watching the movie. She's just staring at that picture frame, watching things because she loves her boys. She wants to see them all the time. Father's Day, 2020. My wife says, you got me such a thoughtful gift this year. What do you want for Father's Day? It took me 15 seconds. I said, I want to be left alone. That's all I want. I love my boys too. All she wants to do, she wants to see them all the time. All I really wanted was just a few consecutive hours where I did not see them all the time, where I could, I don't know, get a nap or watch something that's not a cartoon or just use the bathroom without somebody's little fingers under the door saying, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, I just wanted to be left alone. And that's what she gave me. We got home from church, we had lunch, I went back to the bedroom, I locked the door, and the house was quiet. And I stayed there for an hour or two hours, and then I was bored. So I came out and I played with my boys the rest of the afternoon. We are not meant to be alone. Now, don't get me wrong, a little bit of alone time is fine. It's healthy, I would recommend it. But as I found, even in that moment when all I wanted was just to not be around other people, we're still wired to need connection with other people. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we keep going in this series called At Our Core. In this series, we're talking about the core values of FCC Monmouth. These are the things that make our hearts beat a little bit faster and the things that we favor and pursue in disproportionate ways. We will favor these things over others because they matter more to us. And they matter to us because they matter to God. One of the core values we're talking about today is the value of connection. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open those up to the Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes, not one we spend a whole lot of time in usually, but Ecclesiastes, you're gonna be in chapter four. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, you can follow along on the screens to the sides. But I would encourage you also to download the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device. Click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner and you'll find a lot of different resources and tools that you can use to kind of connect with us and take your next step and, and really get the most out of our time together. Right now, the most advantageous is probably gonna be the sermon notes button. And there you'll find our passage already pulled up for you to follow along with. So Ecclesiastes chapter four, we're talking about connection. And when we talk about connection, we have something kind of specific in mind and we phrase it like this. We will choose meaningful relationships over isolation because we believe that faith and life are richest when we are together. And say it again, we will choose meaningful relationships over isolation because life and faith are richest when we are together. And we chose that wording very specifically. We actually worked a long time on that one. Particularly that first part about choosing meaningful relationships over isolation. That really speaks to a situation in our culture, in particularly in these days. Because isolation, 
comes so naturally. It's so easy. In fact, isolation can kind of creep into our lives with incredible ease. Now, sometimes we choose isolation. Sometimes people just say, I don't want to be around other people. I'm done with them. I cut them out of my life, whatever. But most of the time, the average person is going to find they didn't choose to be isolated or withdrawn. They've simply allowed isolation to creep into their lives slowly. And this happens for a lot of different reasons. And we're going to see one of them, a very prominent one, at the outset of our passage this morning. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. It says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So we have here this hypothetical man, and he's all alone. He has no family, he has no progeny, it's just him. In fact, if we were to, to look at the way that the Hebrew language there phrases it, it's kind of a funny phrase. He is called one without a second. When it says all alone, one without a second. And now again, this is a, a hypothetical situation, but it's not hard to imagine, is it? We might know somebody who fits that description. They are one without a second. Or, or maybe you, you fit that description. You are one without a second. You know, you're just kind of alone. And it's important to note that while this guy is alone, he works all the time. He works ceaselessly. There's no end to his toil, we read. And he doesn't work because he's alone and like just has a lot of time to fill. I, we might know some people like that. I know some people like that. I've got some buddies from high school that, you know, they're single, they don't have any kids. Um, their family has either moved away or passed away. And so they just have a lot of time to fill. And so they work and they pick up extra shifts or they start side businesses or they start a new business and, and they just enjoy filling that time with work. That's not this hypothetical guy. In fact, it might be the opposite end of the spectrum. He might be alone because he works so much. He just works and works and works. And he's working because he's pursuing a reward. In this case, it's, it's money. And he's trying almost to fill this hole or this void in his life with this wealth, with this treasure. And he just work, 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 works. No really, not a lot of time for relationships there. Now again, this is, this is hypothetical. This isn't a historical person. There's nobody in particular in mind here. But again, it's not really hard to imagine either. This is a story that we've seen a lot. This is in some ways Citizen Kane. This is Ebenezer Scrooge. This is a story that we have seen, that we've read, that we've heard dozens and dozens of times. And in some ways, this is a story that you and I may have lived in dozens of different ways. Because this guy is pursuing a reward. In his case, it's money, but we don't always pursue money. Sometimes we work and work and work and we pursue success or we pursue progress, or we pursue uh, pride and, and the praise of other people, or we pursue just the, the pride and the feeling of a good day's work, you know? And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, not even money. There's nothing wrong working to make money. But Ecclesiastes does raise an interesting question. What's the point of all of this stuff if you don't have somebody to share it with? We sometimes try to fill our lives. There's this hole here. We try to fill with this stuff. Maybe it's money, maybe it's success, maybe it's praise, maybe it's pride, whatever. We all try to fill this hole. The thing is, it's a relationship hole. 
It's only going to be filled with relationships and connections with other people. It doesn't matter how much we stuff in there. We will echo the words of this man from Ecclesiastes. Why am I toiling so much? And why am I denying myself pleasure and fun? You see, we're shaped for relationships, but oftentimes those are a challenge, and we find that isolation creeps into our lives because of busyness. We might chase different treasures, different rewards of different kinds, but the pursuit itself oftentimes looks like the guy here in Ecclesiastes. Busyness. We work ceaselessly. We're always busy. We live in a culture where we're expected to be busy people doing busy things, and there's always something that we're supposed to be active in doing. It doesn't leave a whole lot of time for meaningful relationships to germinate and blossom and, and thrive in our lives. I even found myself experiencing this, um, this just this week. This, it was Monday. I came in a little early to, just to kind of get my mind focused on stuff for the week, and I read through our passage. You know, I was thinking about our theme, and so connection was on my mind. And then it was time for staff meeting, and so everybody came in, and we sat around the table, and we're ready to go. And then there's a knock on the office door. And I remembered that I had agreed, oh, I, I told somebody I was going to help them get some gas in their car at 9 o'clock on Monday, the same time we have staff meeting. So I ran out of the meeting, and we ran down to Casey's, and I'm pumping gas in the car. And as it's going, I'm thinking, man, I hope I don't run into anybody I know, because I just don't have time to talk right now. i got to get back to the meeting. They're waiting on me, and I just, oh, I don't have time for that. And it kind of hit me there in this week where we're talking about connection. I had packed my morning way too full to where I could not connect with anybody. Like, I just didn't have time to be friendly. I didn't have time to give somebody my full attention. I, I didn't have time to reconnect with people I may not have seen in several weeks, you know? There's way too much going on. And as I was, it was a very meaningful pump at the gas. As I was thinking about this more, I realized I do this a lot. You, you ever feel like you're just rushing from thing to thing to thing, and, and maybe even you say to yourself, I hope nobody wants to talk after this or nobody wants to chat because I got to get to this next thing. Sometimes we just pack our lives too full, and there's just no room for relationships to really grow and germinate and blossom and become the meaningful things that they're meant to be because we are busy, busy people. And that's why isolation can creep into our lives very easily. It just sort of sneaks in there. We don't choose it. We just someday wake up and find that we've been so busy that we've kept everybody at arm's length. Isolation is, is a sneaky thing, and that's why we have to sometimes actively choose meaningful relationships. Now, there are a lot of reasons for isolation. Sometimes it's practical like that, like we said, but there's oftentimes a more nefarious reason for isolation in our life. It's something that's a little deeper that we all have to be mindful of at times. Isolation is really a symptom or a side effect of our spiritual condition. Isolation is it's a side effect, it's a symptom of our spiritual condition. That's a very loaded statement, so let's unpack that a little bit. A little bit of a, a, a disclaimer here. If you've checked out, come back. We're going to have to put our thinking caps on this morning, okay? We're going to go a little deeper than maybe we do, so track with me here. What does it mean that isolation is part of our spiritual condition? It all starts with our understanding of God and who he is. We, in, in, in the Christian church and Christianity in general, we believe that God is triune. 
If you've ever heard the, the phrase, the Trinity, that's what we're referring to here. And there's no one specific Bible verse we could point to for that, but if you read the scripture and you read it in its entirety, by the way that Jesus talks about himself and the Father being one, and the way that the biblical authors will talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the same breath, sometimes using the same terms and titles interchangeably, you just come to this understanding that God is a living relationship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. He's one being, all right, but three persons. He's not three individual, independent persons, right, like three different beings. That would be polytheism. He's one God, but somehow mysteriously, he's unlike anything else we know in all creation, one being, three persons. And we could talk a whole lot about this, but the early church spent 300 years trying to articulate this idea and clarify it. I really only have about 30 seconds to give it this morning, so we're just going to leave it there. It's complicated, but he's three in one. So he is this relationship. That's essentially who he is. God in his essence and in the fiber of his being is relationship and connection, all right? And he would not be the God that we know him to be without that relationship and connection. Meaning the way that God loves us, the way that he has sent his son to save us and sacrificed for us, the way that he has made this whole plan throughout human history for the sole purpose of being with his people in relationship, he would not be that God without this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In some ways, marriage is a, a really good illustration of this. When you marry somebody, they tend to change you. Now, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be beautiful, it could be ugly, but you're going to be changed by this person, and it becomes an important part of who you are. For instance, my marriage to my wife, is, is, it has shaped me into who I am in, in incredible ways. I, once upon a time, was a very prickly person. Uh, with a very prickly demeanor. I had opinions, and they were the right opinions. Um, I, I had a particular lens through which I saw the world, and I felt that it was my calling to educate you as to why you were wrong. Um, and sometimes I could be a little forward in this, uh, and maybe a little, not aggressive, but just very forthright in this, because your feelings really have no impact on truth and factuality and things like that. It's really a miracle I had any friends at all, but I did, and through those friends, I met my wife, or who would become my wife. And I started dating this, this beautiful girl who had a lot of feelings, and was a very tender individual, and was always mad when I just opened my mouth and said dumb things. And so I, I learned to be very conscientious about what I said and how I said things. And I learned very quickly, there are some hills worth dying on, but many, many more that are not. And over the period of 12 years, that relationship has shaped me into who I am. It is, it is essential to me today. I would not be me as you know me without that relationship. And it's the same thing with God, this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is essential to who he is, that he is living connection, that he is relationship. Now you might be saying, okay, theology, we appreciate that, way to go. But what does this have to do with us? Literally everything, believe it or not. Because you, I got a hair in my mouth, sorry. You, as a human being, you didn't need to know that. You as a human being are formed in the image of that relational God. You are made in his likeness. 
It's one of the very first lessons that we learn in the Bible in Genesis chapter one. Mankind is made in the image of God. And that isn't so much a statement about your, your value or your dignity, so much as it is about your purpose and your function in creation. You are to image him, reflect him, represent him for all of this creation to see. That means the way that that God loves that ought to be the way that we love and that all creation sees that love through us. And the way that that God is just and upright, well, that ought to be the way that we live our lives so that all creation can see the uprightness and the justice of God. And this God, who is in his essence, connection and relationship in his very being, well, guess what? We get to reflect that aspect of him as well. But unlike that God, we are not three in one. And we are not self-contained relationships. We need other people in order to do that. We need each other and our connection and our relationships with other human beings in order to adequately do our created purpose of showing this world who he is and what he's like. This is really deep stuff. Connections matter. Now, you might be saying, well, okay, I get that, but then where does isolation come in? Why do we withdraw from people? Why do we have the friction in these relationships and these connections? And that's where the nefarious part of the story comes in. Because we live in an age of sin. Sin is a really churchy word. It basically just means a rejection and a rebellion against God and his intended purposes. That's the age that we live in. And when that sin enters the equation, it throws everything out of whack. Everything becomes unbalanced. And we see this even in one of the very first stories in the Bible. The creation of man and woman. God makes the man and he puts him in the garden and he gives him a place to live and he gives him a job. And he even gives him some animal friends and says, okay, do your job. Be my image bearer. Reflect me in this world. But as Adam starts going, God says, wait a minute, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And that word, good, Hebrew tov, it's, it's not really a statement about a moral quality. It's not even really a statement about God's pleasure in the circumstance. It's really a statement about Adam's ability to do his job. He cannot adequately be an image bearer of God. He can't reflect this relational God by himself. He's alone. So God remedies the situation. He makes woman, and now there is connection. There is relationship. This time it's in the form of marriage, but there is human interaction and connection together, and now things are very good. And Adam and Eve, they can fulfill their purpose. They can show creation what a relationship looks like. But you know how the story goes. Sin enters the story. There is rebellion against God and his good purposes. And after the man and the woman sin, what's the very first thing they do? They hide. God walks in the garden in the cool of the afternoon in Genesis chapter 3, and it says that they hid, they withdrew, they isolated themselves from God because now sin was in the equation, things had been messed up. You see, that's why isolation is such a nefarious thing in our lives. It runs counter to God's intended purpose for us. It runs counter to our calling in this world to be with each other and reflect his glory through our relationships with one another. This is really something. In a lot of ways, our behavior in isolation, it is kind of like the way a wounded animal behaves. You know, like a dog, for instance. If you ever had a dog who is, who is sick or who is wounded, you know, what do they do? Well, they go hide. They isolate. They withdraw. 
And it's a natural instinct within them because they're thinking, I'm not strong enough to defend myself. I, I, can't, I can't defend against predators, so I'm gonna go hide. I'm gonna be safe if I withdraw. But what happens to sick and wounded dogs when they withdraw? They die. It's counterproductive. But in a lot of ways, we kind of do the same thing. We, we have these relationships with people, and, and when sin enters the equation, we're gonna get hurt. It might be our own sin, it might be somebody else's sin, but we're gonna grate against each other. There's gonna be pain, we're gonna get wounded, and we're gonna have this natural tendency to withdraw, to isolate, to hide, because we wanna protect ourselves. We don't wanna experience rejection. We don't wanna experience judgment. We don't wanna experience pain, and so we just keep people at an arm's length. But what happens if we successfully withdraw, if we successfully keep everybody at arm's length? Just like that dog. We're going to start to die inside because we were not created to be alone and we weren't put together to be by ourselves and isolated. It's tempting to keep people at an arm's length. It's, it's tempting to keep people away. You know, we all have people that we'll let in a little bit. We'll even have a handful of people we'll let in quite a ways into our lives. But for all of us, there's this invisible line where we say that's far enough. Everybody, to some extent, we keep people at a distance when in reality we are meant to embrace and bring people close together because we were made for connection. And there's a lot of benefit and a lot of joy that comes from connection. There's richness both for life and faith when we embrace our created purpose for connection. And our passage in Ecclesiastes, it actually touches on this. If you want to look back at chapter 4, this is verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's some benefit to being in connection and relationship to one another. And it starts out by saying two is better than one. And that's an interesting phrasing because earlier we read about a man who was one without a second. And here what we seem to be reading is that even if you have one other person, it's better than being all by yourself. And there's so much richness that comes to life and faith through this. We read that there's a good return on your labor. And when we hear that word return, Automatically, we might, think, might be thinking, okay, profit or production, we can make more, we can do more, because in that context of labor. But this is kind of like a head statement, and everything that follows elaborates on that. And when you read those elaborations, none of those are financial. And none of those are really business-oriented. They're all social. There are social benefits. There are life benefits. That's the real profit of having other people in our lives. For instance, if you fall down, somebody can help you up. But it says, pity the man. Literally in Hebrew, woe is the man who has no one to help him up. It's the same word that Old Testament prophets used when they talked about the destruction and the judgment of a city. It is a terrible, pitiful circumstance to be in, to be all alone, one without a second. But if you have that one other person, let's say you're out in the fields and you fall down, they can help you up, they can bind up your wounds, they can get you to safety. There's practical benefits to having somebody with us. But obviously, this is not just about working in fields. The reality is, in life, you're gonna take your knocks, and you're gonna get knocked down. And sometimes you can stand up and you can shake it off, but other times, you can't. 
Or maybe you just don't want to because life didn't just simply knock you. It hit you like a train and it floored you. We've had those moments where you just don't want to go on. Woe is the person who experiences the hardships of life and has no one to help them up. But what a joy to have those people in our lives that will reach down and grab you and pick you up and shoulder your burden and walk with you till you heal. There is blessing and richness to having connection and relationship with other people. We're not meant to be alone. There's another circumstance that we read here. It's, it talks about people who are, I, I forgot for a second, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. It talks about people who are, are, are out there and, and they are cold in the middle of the night, right? It says that two can keep warm, but how can somebody keep warm alone? And every time I read that, I think about this movie. I wish, I wish I could remember the title of the movie. For the life of me, I couldn't think of it. Otherwise, I'd have showed you the clip. But it's one of those goofball comedies. It's about three friends, and they hear about a bank robbery from a long time ago, and the, the loot was never found. It's somewhere in the woods. And so they get the bright idea to just tear off into the forest and go looking for this treasure. And of course, they are not equipped for nature at all. And so anything that could go wrong goes wrong. And halfway through the movie, they wind up half naked, no support flies, stranded in the middle of a thunderstorm in a cave, shivering cold, half on the brink of death. And one of the friends looks at the other two and he says, you know, I heard if you huddle together, you can share body heat and stay alive through the night. And of course, being macho guys, they're like, we're, we're not cuddling with each other. No. Cut to the next scene. All three of them are spooning half naked on the middle of the cave floor, you know, because life gets cold and you do what you got to do. But what if you're alone? What if one of those cold nights of life come and you have nobody to get you through? What a pity. But what a joy it is to have friends, to have connection, to have relationships that can get us through those cold nights, those cold weeks, those cold seasons of life where it just feels a little frigid out there. I think of one of our, our small groups here at FCC, there was an individual who, who lost a parent during all this COVID stuff. It wasn't from COVID, it just, it was during this time and and because of all the restrictions and you know the proximity restrictions their ability to grieve and to mourn with friends and with family it was just drastically reduced it's really frustrating situation to be in but this person has a small group it has they have connection with them they have relationships and these people in his small group they they wrote and they texted and they emailed prayers and, and scriptures and encouraging words and those thoughts, those connections were just such a blessing to this person during this time that was, was difficult, one of those cold nights of life. There is richness in life and in faith that comes from being connected with other people. We read in Ecclesiastes that there's safety as well. It says, how can one person defend themselves? It's this idea that maybe you're a merchant, maybe you're a shepherd, I don't know, but there's bandits that come upon you. One person versus a bunch of bandits doesn't stand a chance, but, but two people. Standing back to back, they can defend themselves. And if that's a blessing and a benefit, why not three? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And the idea here is that as the number of relationships and connections in our lives increase, so do the blessings multiply in our life and in our faith. There is so much richness, so much joy, so much benefit, both practical and spiritual, immediate and long-term, from being connected with other people. We can't afford to downplay that or ignore that or allow isolation to slowly creep into our lives and drive us apart. And that's why at our core at FCC, we believe that we must choose meaningful relationships over isolation. 
Because both life and faith are richest when we are together. We could point to a hundred different examples of, of why this is true and how this works, of how people have experienced. I think we've made our case this morning. So here is my, my connection, or my connection, my challenge. I've got C words on my brain. My challenge and my invitation to you is to be connected. This is something that has not been easy the past few months. I think that that has become abundantly clear that connection is significant for our lives because we haven't been able to express and enjoy a lot of it. And admittedly, if we as a church could do things over again, I would want to try harder to make sure that these connections are fostered. But the reality is there is only so much that we can do. This is your life, your connection, your calling to reflect the image of God by being related and connected with other people. All we can do is offer opportunities, and so that's what I want to do. I want to make sure you are aware of opportunities to connect with other people in meaningful relationships here. One way that you can do that is through small groups. Right now, our small groups have kind of taken a summer hiatus for at least a month or two, but come September, it's all going to start back up again, and the small group engine will start turning. And this is a fantastic opportunity to be in a group of people, to connect with them in meaningful ways, to share life with them, to have those connections for those cold nights or those hard times in life, and to be there for others in the cold nights and the hard times, to reflect God's uh, communal nature in community with other people. So if that's something you're interested in, I would highly encourage you be praying about it now so that you can sign up when small group season gets going. And I want you to be thinking about it now because there's a lot of convenient excuses for why we don't want to be in a small group. Number one is, I'm busy. It's hard to find time. So I would encourage you to look at your schedule and by eliminating and rearranging things, choose meaningful relationships over isolation. Another opportunity would be our grow classes. Sunday school sometimes they're called. Those will be restarting on August 16th, so just a few weeks. They're going to be in the fellowship hall. We'll have one at 9 a.m. We'll have one at 10.30 a.m. And we would like you to sign up so that we don't get like 65 people in one classroom because that's a, not okay. But we want to make sure that we have room for everybody. And these are opportunities to connect with people, to get to know them, to share God's word, and to pray with one another. They're great opportunities. And these are just two things, two avenues that we offer here for you to engage with people in meaningful ways and to choose meaningful relationships over isolation. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have called us and made us for good purpose. You've called us to reflect your glory, to reflect your love, to reflect your patience and your kindness, your mercy, your justice, and it's a big job. Too big for us to do by ourselves, and that's why we need each other. And I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts to connect. I, I know as an introverted person, sometimes we think we might not need connection, but the reality is, Father, you've made us to need each other. And so I pray that you would lead us closer to each other, that through our connection to you and our mutual faith in you, you would bind us together as small groups, as classes, ultimately as a church family that can reflect you adequately and shine your glory, your love, your patience, and your value for each and every individual person in this community. Father, help us to live out that calling through our connections with each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.